Lord, we thank you that we have direct access to you. That we can come to the Holy of Holies. We can come to your throne of grace because of the blood of the Lamb, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ who was punished for us, who took all of the just punishment due us. We have no business standing in your presence, Lord, except we are now clothed in your righteousness. Lord, let us never take that for granted. And Lord, let us never forget that we have this amazing privilege to come to you, to be in your very presence. Lord, we do ask, we come here tonight because we do want to know more of you. Lord, as we look at your word tonight, I pray that you would just again reveal yourself more to us. That is why we're here in the middle of our week. A lot of things going on, Lord, busyness and stress and trials. Lord, we, we put all of that at your feet. Lord, we ask that you minister to us tonight through your word, that you teach us, that you grow us, that you change us more and more into your image. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good evening. Uh, you know, it, it, it really is, sometimes we, we take that for granted, the, that we have access, the, the holy of holies. I, <clears throat> I don't remember if I told you this a couple of weeks ago when on our, on my, our little Israel recap, so if I did, forgive me. I'm, you know, I remember I didn't have much sleep before then, so kind of a blur that night anyway. But on our flight home, I was sitting next to a young man 22 years old, uh, a, a Jewish young man who grew up in Los Angeles area and actually had spent the last couple of years in Jerusalem studying the, the Torah and the law. And he asked me, you know, he said, did, did we go up on the Temple Mount? And I told him that we did. And he said that he would, he would never go up there because as it, it, he believes and in, in they, they would believe that the, the reason they wouldn't go up there is not because they're, they're not allowed. They can go up. Jews can go up on the Temple Mount, just can't pray and, and that. But they believe, it, what he believes is that there might be a chance that they would step where the Holy of Holies was and that they, they can't go there. And it, and it opened up a great opportunity for me to share with him why we believe that. He talked that the only person who could go into the Holy of Holies was the high priest with the sacrifice once a year and, and, and that type of thing. And I said, and then I was able to share with him what we believe, that Jesus is that sacrifice, the fulfillment of that in our place, and that what he suffered and died on the cross, that that veil that separated the Holy of Holies from us was torn in two from top to bottom, and we have access we can never take that, that for granted or, or forget about that. What an amazing privilege we have as those followers of Jesus purchased by his blood that we have access into the Holy of Holies. What, a, what an amazing thing. Well, take out your Bibles with me if you would. Open them up with me to the book of Judges, chapter 9. Last time we finished up in chapter 8, the story of Gideon. Judges chapter 9, just as a little way of kind of a running start in here, let's look at verse 33 of, of Judges chapter 8 as we finish that, the look at that. We noticed that it said, Then it came about, as soon as Gideon was dead, 
that the sons of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal Bereth their god. Thus the sons of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hands of all their enemies on every side, nor did they show kindness to the house of Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, in accord with all of the good that he had done to Israel. The people had forgotten their God, and they had forgotten Gideon and all that he had done. And now we, we take a look at chapter 9, and, and if you read ahead, this is, this is a pretty tragic chapter. Uh, Judges is full of a lot of, of tragic things that go on with the children of Israel. But we see, we're introduced to one of Gideon's sons, verse, chapter 9, verse 1, And Abimelech, the son of Jerubbabel, Gideon, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and spoke to them and the whole clan of the household of his mother's father, saying, Speak now in the hearing of the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that 70 men, all the sons of Jerubbabel, rule over you, or that one man rule over you. Also remember that I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words to, on his behalf in the hearing of all the leaders of Shechem, and they were inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he is our relative. Now if we remember back in our study, when, when Gideon had, had finished his conquest the, the, uh, of, the, of the, the, the invaders of Israel, it says for us in verse 23, when they tried to make Gideon king, it said, he said, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Yet here we are, the very next generation, one of his sons, he says, not me, nor one of my sons rule over you. But here we see one of the sons trying to take that, that mantle of leadership to be the king, to be the leader. We're going to see the disastrous results of what takes place when people turn away from God and turn to man for what only God can, can provide. Trying to make man a lord over them as opposed to giving all lordship to God. They gave him, verse 4, 70 pieces of silver from the house of Baal Barith with, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows and they followed him. They give him money from the temple of this God that they are worshiping and he hires a bunch of thugs. Then he went to his father's house at Orpha and killed his brothers, the sons of Jerubbaal, 70 men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbaal, was left, for he hid himself. He goes and he executes all of his brothers on one stone. He, that, that, there must have been a, a massive uh, stone, and he, he, killing them all right there. All of the men of Shechem and all Beth Milo assembled together, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar which was in Shechem. Now, when they told Joth, now when they told Jotham, he went and stood on the top of Mount Gerizim and lifted his voice and called out. Thus he said, "Listen to me, O men of Shechem, that God may listen to you." The one surviving son that had escaped, he climbs up now on Mount Gerizim. And remember back in, in Joshua, this was the mountain where, where the couple of the tribes of Israel went and they shouted down the blessings of God if they were to be obedient and follow God. Where the, On the other side, they shouted down the curses that would come upon them if they were disobedient. He's standing on this hill. And we see here the first parable that is recorded for us in the Bible. He says... Once the trees went forth to anoint a king over them, 
and they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, shall I leave my fatness with which God and men are honored and go to wave over the trees? Then the trees said to the fig tree, you come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go wave over the trees? Then the trees said to the vine, you come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, shall I leave my new wine, which cheers God and men, and go wave over the trees? Here I, I see a picture of Gideon and even these other sons who, who were offered this position, but it would, it would be a compromise to, to what they knew to be true. They would have to compromise something within themselves in order to rule over them. They said, why would I leave that which honors God in order to do this, this thing, which is wicked in God's sight. God wanted to be the, the ruler over the people. Finally, all the trees said to the bramble, you come and reign over us. Now a bramble is a little bush, thorny bush, good for nothing except to stick you in the finger. They, all, that they ever, all they used them for was to start fires and, and they'd gather them up, but they were nothing but, but just this low growing weed on the ground. The bramble said to the trees, if in truth you are anointing me king over you, come take refuge in my shade. <laughs> the irony of that, <laughs> this little bush, this little thing on the ground, come take, come take refuge in my shade, the pride that's coming there, having nothing to offer yet speaking so boldly. But if not, may fire come out from the bramble and consume the cedars of Lebanon. Coming out again, basically, if you disagree with me, watch out. It will cost you. That's the kind of leader that he is warning them. This is, this is what is going on in your very presence. Now, therefore, he says, if you have dealt in truth and integrity, making Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jerubel and his house, and have dealt with him as he deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian. But you have risen against my father's house today and have killed his sons, 70 men on one stone, and have made Abimelech, the son of his maidservant, king over the men of Shechem, because he is your relative. If then you have dealt in truth and integrity with Jerubbabel and his house this day, rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and consume the men of Shechem and Beth Milo, and let fire come out from the men of Shechem and from Beth Milo and consume Abimelech. Then Jotham, Jotham escaped and fled, and he went to Be'er and remained there because of Abimelech, his brother. He tells them that this is, if, if you choose this, this is what is going to happen. It will bring destruction on you and on him. We see here this man the Abimelech, this, this man of, of pride that comes up and, and that, that wells up inside him. And when i reading through this, to me, I, I see that this is a graphic example of what James talks about for us in James chapter 4. He says, what is the source of the quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasure that wages war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are not envious and you are, you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motive so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks of no purpose? He, is, he jealously desires the spirit which he made to dwell in us. 
but he gives us a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. I see that played out here in that way, this jealousy that, that raised up in this, in this one son, worried about what might happen if they were to take control. He wanted that power and literally killed his brothers. But the warning that, that Jotham is giving is, turn now, repent. Don't continue down that path. God rewards those who are humble. God, God opposes those who are proud. And if they would have only listened, I, I, I think this story would have had a hugely different ending. Yes, there's consequences for what they did, but the call to them to humble themselves and to hear from the Lord. It's a dangerous thing to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Paul warns us of that in Romans chapter 12. We need to discover those things that God has given to us, those gifts that he has given to us, and use them in, in, in a place that honors and glorifies him. No one is more important than any other. There should be no competition amongst us. Again, humble yourself in the place of the Lord, yet they refuse to listen. Verse 22, now Abimelech ruled over Israel three years. Verse 23, then God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the, and the men of Shechem, and the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, so that the violence done to the 70 sons of Jerubbaal might come and their blood might be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them, and on the men of Shechem, who strengthened his hands to kill his brother. Here we see that God is in complete control, in full control of the situation. Now, when we read this verse that says in verse 23, and it appears other times, a similar statement, it says that God sent an evil spirit. Now, did God literally send an evil spirit? God can't do evil. But he does allow our enemy to do certain things. He can't do anything, by the way, without God's permission. Job chapter 1, perfect example of that. Satan came to God and asked permission to go and to torment Job. He couldn't do it without God's permission. Jesus, speaking to Peter, said, Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. And that permission was granted, he said, however, but when you turn, strengthen your brothers. When you come back, strengthen your brothers. And again, I, I see in this that, that those things, they're allowed to us as believers, but we are never tempted beyond what we can handle. We will never face anything that in the power of God we can't have victory over. And in those things, we are strengthened in our faith. We are strengthened and made more, more powerful for things that, are, that, will that we will face in the future. But God also uses these, these evil forces to affect his purposes as well. He, it says that he sends them and it divided the Abimelech and Shechem. That there was now, because they didn't heed the warning, now this jealousy is burning up within them. And now this, is, this fighting takes place between the two of them. They, they plan to, to, to remove him and make life miserable for Abimelech, but he's not going to have anything of it. Verse 25, the men of Shechem set men in ambush against him on the tops of mountains, and they robbed all who might pass by them along the road, and it was told Abimelech. Now we enter a, 
another fellow into the story. Now Gaal, the son of Ebed, came, into, came in with his relatives and crossed over into Shechem. And the men of Shechem put their trust in him. They went out into the field and gathered the grapes of the vineyard and trod them and held a festival. And they went into the house of their God and ate and drank and cursed Abimelech. Then Gaal, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech and who, and who is Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerubbaal? And is not Zebul not his lieutenant? Serve the men of Hamor, the, the, the father of Shechem. But why should we serve him? Would therefore that this people who are under my authority, then I would remove Abimelech. And he said to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. So they have this drunken festival. They're, they're going on, and here's this guy getting after. He's, he's all liquored up, gets a whole lot of confidence, and starts popping off. Another, one of the numerous reasons why, why we shouldn't have anything to do with alcohol. It, it, it totally messes up, uh, up our minds and scrambles us. And, and here he's just popping off and saying a whole bunch of things, saying, make me ruler. We don't need to follow this guy. And as a matter of fact, even challenging Abimelech. Of course, not thinking Abimelech would hear it, know anything about it. When Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gaal, the son of Ebed, his anger burned. Now, this is the general who was reporting to Abimelech. So he sent messengers to Abimelech, deceitfully saying, Behold, Gaal, the son of Ebed, and his relatives have come to Shechem, and behold, they are stirring up the city against you. Now, therefore, arise by night, you and the people who are with you, and lie in wait in the field. In the morning, as soon as the sun is up, you shall rise early and rush upon the city. And behold, when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you shall do to them whatever you can. So Abimelech and all the people who were with him arose by night and lay in wait against Shechem in four companies. Now Gaal, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entrance of the city gate. And Abimelech and the people who were with him arose from the ambush. When Gaal saw the people, he said to Zebul, look, people are coming down from the tops of the mountains. But Zebul said to him, you're hung over. <laughs> You're seeing things. You're seeing the shadows of the mountains as if they were men. Gaal spoke again and said, Behold, people are coming down from the highest parts of the land, and one company comes by the way of the diviner's oak. Then Zebul said to him, Where is your boasting now? With which he said, Who is Abimelech and that, who's, that we should serve him? Is this not the people who you despised? Go out now and fight with them. So encouraging him now to go out and fight. So Gaal went out before the leaders of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. Abimelech chased him and fled, and he fled before him, and many fell wounded upon the entrance of the gate. Then Abimelech remained at Armah, but Zebul drove out Gaal and his relatives so they could not remain in Shechem. Over that, 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 that all that happens the next day. Now the following day, the people of Shechem are probably thinking, okay, took care of Gaal, he's gone, everything's fine now. But now it came about the next day that the people went out to the field, probably going out to do their normal day's business, and it was told to Abimelech. So he took his people and divided them into three companies and lay in wait in the field. When he looked and saw the people coming out from the city, he arose against them and slew them. Then Abimelech and his company who was with him dashed forward and stood at the entrance of the city gate. The other two companies then dashed against all who were in the fields and slew them. Verse 45, Abimelech fought against the city all that day, and he captured the city and killed the people who were in it. 
Then he raised the city and sowed it with salt. So he leveled the city and he throws salt all over it. And that's what many capturing city, uh, armies would do. Throw salt all over the place and then nothing can grow. Basically ruining the city. When all the leaders of the tower of Shechem heard it, they entered the inner chamber of the tenth temple of el Birith. It was told Abimelech that all the leaders of the tower of Shechem were gathered together. So Abimelech went up onto Mount Zalman, and he and all his people who were with him, and Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a branch from the trees and lifted it and laid it on his shoulder. Then he said to the people who were with him, what you have seen me do, hurry and do likewise. All the people cut down each one his branch and followed Abimelech and put them into the inner chamber and set the inner chambers on fire over those inside. So all the men of the tower of Shechem also died, about a thousand men and women. So these leaders of this cult following, they run into this, it must have been a pretty massive tower, big building, if a thousand people are fitting into it. And so Abimelech goes up on the hill, he cuts down a big branch, he carries that in, he says, do what I'm doing. So everybody does that. They bring all of this timber down and they, they burn the building and it, and it kills everyone inside. Tragic thing. But in there, there's a very important little lesson in here. First of all, that there's not safety in numbers. There were a thousand of them together. And just because it seemed like everybody was going that way, I'm sure others said, well, that must be safe in there. That's where everybody's going. So they all went that way. And they, were, they all perished. And it also says, where did they go? They went into the tower of the temple of el -Berith. You see, there's not safety in numbers. It doesn't matter that the whole world is going a particular direction. And it doesn't matter that everybody says, hey, follow us. It's safe. It's all okay. You know, all, all roads lead to heaven. Everything's going to be fine. You can, you can come on this big, wide road with us, and everything's going to be okay. See, there's not safety in numbers. There's not salvation in numbers. There's salvation in the name, a single name. And that's the name of the Lord Jesus. Jesus said it's a narrow road. It's, it's not a wide gate. It's a narrow gate. But there is that one name. Salvation is in no one else. No other name under heaven is given among men by which we must be saved. And that is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But once we come to him, we have security. We have safety. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. There is safety there. There is salvation there. There is eternal safety there. And if you are here tonight and you have never trusted in the Lord Jesus and him and him alone for your salvation, you have been going along with the crowd thinking that, you know what, as long as I hang around with all of these people who are telling me it's all okay, in the end, it's all going to be all right. It is not. It is not. There is salvation in Jesus and him and him alone. You need to, you need to humble yourself now before God. Confess that you are a sinner. Repent of your sin, turn from your sin, and receive the free gift of salvation. Jesus paid that penalty. As we sang before, he shed his precious blood for you so that we can have access to the Father, that we can have eternal life in him, that that is the only way. Well, Abimelech, verse 50, isn't done. Then Abimelech went to Thebes, 
and he camped against Thebes and captured it. Now, this is another town close by. They must have been in cahoots with, with Shechem against Abimelech. But there was a strong tower in the center of that city. And all the men and women with the leaders of the city fled there and shut themselves in. And they went up on the roof of the tower. So Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and approached the entrance of the tower to burn it with fire. It worked before. Let's do it again. But a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head, crushing his skull. Now, that, that stone would have been a, a stone that would have been held in their hand that would have ground wheat or corn and, and probably weighed, any, you know, five, six pounds. But dropped from that height, it hits Abimelech on the head, crushes his skull. It says, verse 54, Then he called quickly to a young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me so that it will not be said of me, a woman slew him. Again, even in his death, even in his death, his pride is ridiculous. More worried about what's going to be said of him later. So the young man pierced him through and he died. Now it's interesting because here we have Abimelech living all of this wickedness, coming right to the end. And he's figuring, okay, at least I can write the ending to my story. I didn't, I didn't die because some woman killed me. I died because a sword pierced me through. 2 Samuel eleven twenty one. fast forward, many years. Who struck down Abimelech, the son of Jerubbaseth? Did not a woman throw an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? <laughs> You know, God gives us freedom. We have freedom to make choices. We can choose to do any number of things. But what we can't choose is the consequences and the outcome. We can choose to do anything. But our freedom ends at the choice. We can all choose to jump off. We could, we could climb up into a really tall tower, and we could choose to jump off. But as soon as our foot leaves the ledge, our freedom is done because gravity then takes over, and concrete has its way. We cannot, we cannot choose the consequences for our actions. We, can, we cannot choose the final outcome of our actions. That is why, again, we need to fall on the grace and the mercy of God. And here again, even at this very end, if he would have simply repented and, and turned, yet in his pride he stood strong in that until the end. Again, we all are given choices. Adam and Eve, they were given a choice. They chose poorly, and again, they couldn't choose the consequences. No matter what the enemy says, he's a liar. He said, oh, you can, you can eat the fruit. You can do that. What God's holding out on you. If you do it, actually, you'll be more like him. All lies. They couldn't choose the consequences. God told them what the consequences were. We need to choose wisely. When the... Men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead. Each departed to his home. Thus God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech, which he had done to his father in killing his 70 brothers. God repaid. Paul records for us in Romans chapter 12. 
beginning in verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own vengeance, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will, help the, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God will take care of it in the end. God will take care of it. God will take care of those who, who sin against him and who sin against his own. God will take care of it. So often our response is, I need to take this. I need, they can't treat me like that. And even, even, even as born-again believers, that flesh in us reaction is to defend ourselves, to go out and take revenge. The Bible says, and Paul tells us, don't do that. Love instead. Repay evil with good. The psalmist in, in Psalm 73, looking around at the world, and, and we can all probably relate to this in the world that we live in now, looking around and seeing all of the evil that is going on and seeing all of the people that are, that are perpetrating the evil, seemingly getting away with it, looking like there's no punishment for them. And, and he, he even laments this as he goes through this. Have I, have I believed in vain? Have I, have I lived this life? And, 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 and in the end, it's not going to make any difference. But he says this, interestingly, in, in Psalm 73, he goes on and he says, until I came to the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their end. I understand. He's in control. He's going to take care of all of those things. My role is to honor him with my life. My role is to continue to live out as he commands and, and calls me to. Our reward, as we spoke about this last weekend, our reward's in heaven. And, and God will take care of them. God will deal with them. Our job is to, is to follow him, is to love. His job is to judge. He will sort it all out. He is a just and righteous God. But also, those that live in that life, like Abimelech did, Numbers 32, 23 says, be sure your sin will find you out. If you're living a life and, and thinking, man, I'm getting away with this, Everything, everything's going fine. Nobody knows that I'm doing these things. And, and God certainly doesn't seem to care because I'm continuing to get away with it. And as a pastor, I've known many people and, and had conversations with people who felt that way. That, you know, I'm, I'm doing enough good, and, but these types of things, it's okay. God's, God's, God's even blessing that. No, he's not. Your sin will find you out. And Paul says in Galatians, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. What we sow, we will reap. So again, I, I plead with any of you here tonight that are living that life, repent. Repent and turn back to God. He will forgive you. Jesus paid the penalty for your sin, but God will not be mocked. Also, God, verse 57, returned all the wickedness of the men of Shechem on their heads. And the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbaal, came upon them. God warned them. He, he sent this man, Jotham, and, and screamed out the warning from the hilltop. And again, they had, all they had to do was listen and repent and turn. And so often, and, and this is what I, I guess just to leave this, this story and move on with this, God warns us continually. As believers, we have the Holy Spirit residing in us. And 
when we come up with in situations in our lives, whether it even be a, a relationship or, or a job opportunity or, or different things that are presented to us, if we take time and we seek the Lord in it, he will speak to us. He will give us a check if it's not his will. If, and, and we need to learn to pay attention to those checks, those Holy Spirit checks within us. Again, I've, people have, have, have come to me about a relationship that they're in, and oh, they're, they're not a believer, but, but I, I believe that, that God wants to use me in this and, and that type of thing. That, that, and I ask him, do you, have, do you have that peace? Are you seriously telling me the Lord's not telling Because his word is. And if we ignore those checks, we will, again, we can't pick the consequences of our decisions. We need to listen to those. And by the way, those of us who are married, oftentimes the Holy Spirit will use our spouse <laughs> as that check. <laughs> are you serious? <laughs> you know, we need to pray about that. And when we do, we need to be obedient. Chapter 10. Now after Abimelech died, Tola, the son of Porah, the son of Dodo, not the son of a Dodo, the son of Dodo, how'd, how'd you like that name? <laughs> A man of Issachar arose to save Israel, and he lived in Shamir, in the hill country of Ephraim. He judged Israel 23 years, then he died and was buried in Shamir. After him, Jair, a Gileadite arose and judged Israel 22 years. He had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys, and they had 30 cities in the hand of Gilead, in the land of Gilead, that were called Havoth Jair to this day. And Jair died and was buried in Cayman. Here, it's interesting, we, we see these two men, and this is all that's recorded for us in these five verses. We don't know much at all about them except that that for, for 45 years there was, there was peace and security. And that, that tells me that these were godly men. They were faithful men. They honored God. They served the people. And, and, and life, was, life was peaceful then. They didn't have the issues. They were, they were, they were following God at least for the most part. I, I, I again, think that it's, that it's interesting that we don't know more about them than that. Except that Jair's 30 sons had cool rides because back then donkeys, donkeys was, that, that was, that, you, were, you were high dollar if you're riding around on a donkey. But that's all we know of them. But the tragedy of it is in verse 6, after Jair died, then the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Asherah, the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the sons of Ammon, the gods of the Philistines. Thus they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. 45 years of peace and security, serving God. And, and again, we see this pattern over and over again when they're serving God and loving God and honoring God. They have peace, they have security, they have safety. And it, we're not... We're not thousands of years removed from the last time this was a problem. We're 45 years removed. People are still alive that were alive in the, in the time before, yet they fall away. And the, it, I don't know if it shocks you as it, as it does me, but look at all of the gods that they're worshiping. 
like they'd worship any and every God except the true and living God. And notice it says, and they did not serve him. And as we pointed out again on Sunday, Jesus said you cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve two masters. If you're serving these others, and again, they probably thought, hey, we, got, we have Yahweh over here, but we're going to serve all of these. And, and the draw of the world. By the way, they're worshiping gods of their defeated enemies. How much sense does that make? All of them had been defeated in the past. Their gods were so powerless, they couldn't rescue them before, but we're going to go serve them. We're going to go worship them. And it's the draw of the world. It's the lure of the world. Baal was the, the god of, of the weather and, and that type of stuff, and it spoke of, of prosperity. So we're going we're gonna to chase after prosperity. Asherah was the god of sensuality and pleasure. We're going to chase after those things, appealing to our, our flesh, following and chasing after the world. Verse 7, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the sons of Ammon. They're worshiping these gods right alongside them. And then all of a sudden, before they know it, everything's flipped on their heads. And now these, these people are now oppressing them and they're now serving them. And sometimes the worst thing that could ever happen is for God to give us what we're asking for. That's, that's what they were chasing after. That's what they were desiring. And God, just like he says in Romans, Romans chapter 1, gave them over to what they were chasing. Gave them over to their fleshly desires. They afflicted, verse 8, and crushed the sons of Israel that year. For 18 years they afflicted all the sons of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in Gilead in the land of the Amorites. The sons of Ammon crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah, Benjamin, and the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was greatly distressed. Notice that their affliction as it came upon them, because they have abandoned God, because they've turned to the world, when they were afflicted, it says they were afflicted and crushed. Paul tells the church in Corinth that that we as Christians, we will be afflicted as well. But he says we will not be crushed. We will be persecuted. But God turned away from the children of Israel. We'll be persecuted. But as believers, we will not be abandoned. Following the true and living God again. We will, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be rosy. That we're not going to have any problems. But we will never face anything that will crush us. We will never be abandoned. He will always be with us. But imagine the desperation and the hopelessness that they felt because they had turned away from God. Then the sons of Israel, verse 10, cried out to the Lord saying, we have sinned against you for indeed we have forsaken our God and served the Baals. Again, 18 years later, the Lord said to the sons of Israel, did I not deliver you from the Egyptians and the Amorites and the sons of Ammon and the Philistines? Also, when the Sidonians and the Amalekites and the Moanites oppressed you, you cried out to me and I delivered you from the ha your hands. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will no longer deliver you. Praise the Lord, we will never hear those words. But he, was, he had reached a point with them where he was tired of their empty 
statements. They're, 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 they're just coming back when, when things got tough and, and, and no, no real heart change. Verse 14, go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in this time of distress. Go and, again, you, you've, you've made this decision that your defeated enemies' gods, now where are they now? To help you in this, go, go check with them. Verse 15, the sons of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned, do to us whatever seems good to you, only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. Here we see a, a difference. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Again, drawing a clear distinction between just saying, hey, I'm sorry I got caught. I wish things were different. There's some way I can get out of this. Comparing that type of, of repentance that the world might call, that is empty, that continues to lead to death, because there's no, there's no brokenness, there's no forgiveness behind that. Comparing that to true brokenness, true sorrow over sin, not regretting the repentance and, and returning then back to the sin. Notice the children of Israel, they do three things here. In verse 15, the sons of Israel said, we have sinned. No excuses. They're not blaming anybody. They're not saying it was because of this, it's because of that, it's because of the, my upbringing, it's because of the childhood that I had, it's because of all of this stuff. Not blaming anything, taking full ownership for their sin. Totally broken. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Totally surrendered. God, whatever, we deserve whatever it is that you would bring upon us. Do whatever is, is right in your eyes. But notice then too, verse 16, so they put away the foreign gods from among them. That word put away literally means to completely destroy those things that had drawn them away. Completely destroy it. They didn't take completely completely uh, to putting, the, putting, the, putting it away doesn't mean they took the, 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 the bottle of booze and put it in the basement. They flushed it down the toilet. It doesn't mean that they, 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 they changed the password on their computer to something they might remember so that they could still access that later. No, they put on a, a, a filtering system that would not allow them to go back to that. They put it away. They destroyed it. They totally got away from it. Total brokenness, total surrender, total destruction of the other gods. And notice this. He could bear the misery of Israel no longer. When we, when we read back in those verses leading up to it, you have forsaken me, I will no longer deliver you, go cry to your other gods. That was, that was, there was purpose behind that. There was, the heart of God wasn't, pushing them away. We see here that God's heart was breaking during that entire process. When I read that he could bear the misery no longer, I think of the, the saying that we've probably all said to our kids, or at least we heard from our parents, this is going to hurt me a lot more than it's going to hurt you. But with God, there's a, that heart behind that. It truly did. It breaks his heart. God takes no pleasure in suffering. The Bible says, he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. 
much less the suffering of his people. So he takes them back. Couldn't bear the misery any longer. Then the sons of Ammon were summoned and they camped in Gilead. So here's the enemy. They're, they're gathering their troops together. And the sons of Israel gathered together and camped in Mizpah. The people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, Who is the man who will begin to fight against the sons of Ammon? He shall become head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Isn't it a shame that amongst all of them they couldn't find one godly leader? One person. Every, it, it had become so corrupt and so much that, that they couldn't find one person to stand up amongst their group. But God is faithful. He always has that remnant. He has that, that person ready. Chapter 11. Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a valiant warrior. But he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead was the father of Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house. You are the son of another woman. So here this, this man, Jephthah, his, his father had an affair with a, with, a, with a prostitute. And she became pregnant and he was born through that relationship. But his other, his other brothers rejected him. And, and we see that God, God, God doesn't look at any of those things. There's a couple other pretty famous guys in the Bible who were rejected by their brothers that God used in mighty ways. Joseph, the story of Joseph, sold off into slavery. His brothers hated him. David, the youngest one in, in the family, the one that they all looked at, the little, the little runt that's out taking care of the sheep. And God raised them up to be amazing men and, and do mighty works for him. Also notice too, God doesn't care about pedigree. God doesn't care about the past that you came from. He loves you and he wants to use you regardless. The, wor the world will say, well, you can't do that because you came from here or, or you're a part of that family or you're, you came from that side of the tracks. God says, come to me and I'll use you in mighty, mighty ways. He doesn't, he, those, those things make no difference to him. He's just looking for godly men and women. He's looking for valiant men and women who, who, are, who are faithful, who are, who are strong in their faith. It says that this Jephthah, because he was pushed away by his brothers, he fled from his brothers and he lived in the land of Tob. And worthless fellows gathered themselves to Jephthah. <laughs> I think... Uh, they, they, they came to him. I, I, I think of a couple of things. First of all, the story of David. Again, when he is cast out now and he's running from Saul, it says that all of the, <laughs> the riffraff, all of the others that were rejected and pushed out and society didn't want anything to do with, they gathered around David and he became their leader. Kind of like Robin Hood, right? <laughs> you know? And, and they, 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 they move forward here. And, and, and Jephthah, we don't know a whole lot about this, but a lot of commentators speaking of the Hebrew and some of the words and the meaning of that is in order for them to survive, they had to do a little robbing from the rich and giving to the poor kind of stuff. But we know, we, we see that there's something valiant about this guy, something very honoring about him. Matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 11, he's in the hall of faith. It came about after a while, verse 4, that the sons of Ammon fought against Israel. 
When the sons of Ammon fought against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, come, be our chief, and we may fight against the sons of Ammon. So obviously his fame has spread that he's this valiant warrior, that he's got a band of brothers with him. Then Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, did you not hate me and drive me from my father's house? So why have you come to me now when you are in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, for this reason we have now returned to you, that you may go with us and fight with the sons of Ammon and become head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, if you take me back to fight against the sons of Ammon and the Lord gives them up to me, will I become your head? He's asking, is this just, we're going to go right back, I'll come and take care of this for you and then I'm going to be cast out? But notice something very important. Again, we see this just like, just like Gideon that, that was missing in our previous chapter. The Lord gives them up to me. He knew that it wasn't about him. He knew that it was all God. And if there was going to be victory, it was going to be God's victory. And again, I see that's why, that's why this man's in the hall of faith. He, he knew it wasn't him that was going to go up against Ammon and win this thing. But if God goes before me and he delivers them up to me, will I become your head then? Will I, will I then be looked at that way. And then the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord is witness between us. Surely we will do as you have said. Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people and made him head of ch and chief over them. And Jephthah spoke all these words before the Lord at Mizpah. Interesting. That's where Mizpah is where, if you have your little marginal Bible there, it says Genesis 31:50. That's where Jacob and Laban made their agreement before the Lord. And here they're making this same agreement. And the agreement then was, if either one of us cross paths this way, may the Lord deal with us. And the same thing is here. They're saying, if, if you do this, we will, we will honor you. We will hold this this way. And they're making this statement before God in that place. Now Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the sons of Ammon saying, what is between you and me that, we have come, that you have come to fight against my land? The king of the sons of Ammon said said to the messengers of Jephthah, because Israel took away my land when they came up from Egypt, from the, from the Arnon as far as the Jabbok and the Jordan. Therefore, return them peaceably now. But Jephthah sent messengers again to the king and of his sons of Ammon. And they said to him, thus says Jephthah. Now, I like this too. Instead, before, instead of going right to war, he's trying to reason with them. He's trying to talk with them, trying to find out what's going on. But now his response is to them, Israel did not take away the land of Moab nor the land of the sons of Ammon. For when they came up from Egypt and Israel went through the wilderness to the Red Sea and came to Kadesh, then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom saying, please let us pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not, Edom would not listen. And so they sent to the king of Moab, they sent to the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel remained in Kadesh. Then they went through the wilderness and around the land of Eden, Edom and the land of Moab and came to the east side of the land of Moab and they camped beyond the Arnon, but they did not enter the territory of Moab for the Arnon was the border of Moab. And Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, the king of Heshbon and Israel and said to them, please let us pass through your land to our place. So again, going through now here, the story that we went through, I, I don't know how many months ago, but as the children of Israel are now approaching the land, the promised land to come in, they sent to the king of Edom, hey, we just want to cut through. 
We don't want anything from you. Just let us cut through the land. We're not stopping. We just want to go through. They said no. So they went around the land. They came here to this other one now that where, where the Amorites are, and they said the same thing. Please let us just pass through your land. But Sihon did not trust Israel to pass through his territory, so Sihon gathered all his people and camped in Jahaz and fought with Israel. So the truth comes out. Israel didn't attack and go in and take their land. They just asked to pass through. And instead of just saying no, they brought their army out and fought with Israel. The Lord, the God of Israel, verse 21, gave Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated them. So Israel possessed all the land of the Amorites, the inhabitants of that country. So they possessed all the territory of the Amorites, from the Arnon as far as the Jabbok, and from the wilderness as far as the Jordan. Since now the Lord, the God of Israel, drove out the Amorites from before his people, are you then to possess it? Do you not possess what Chemosh, your God, gives you to possess? So whatever the Lord, our God, has driven out before us, we will possess. Now, you, are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever strive with Israel, or did he ever fight against them? While Israel lived in Heshbon and its villages, in Aror and its villages, and in all the cities that are on the banks of the Arnon, 300 years, why did you not recover within that time? Why are you coming now? It's been 300 years ago. I, therefore, have not sinned against you, but you are doing me wrong by making war against me. May the Lord judge. Judge today between the sons of Israel and the sons of Ammon. But the king of the, Am of the sons of Ammon disregarded the message which Jephthah had sent him. We're going to have to stop there because we're not going to get through the chapter in just a couple of minutes we have left. So we will pick up in the middle of chapter 11 next week. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for, for your word. We thank you for the, the lessons that are so clear in it. Lord, the, the, the tragedy and the, the tragic results that come about when people don't follow you, when, when we chase after the things of the world that are so empty. But Lord, the, the security that we have in you. So Lord, our, our desire is to walk in a manner that is pleasing to you. And if there is anything in our lives, if there are any idols in our lives that are taking our attention away from you, that are drawing us away from you, Lord, reveal that to us now. And Lord, we, before your holy throne, Lord, we put that down before you. We repent of that sin. We turn away from that and we turn back to you now. And if you are here tonight and you've never made that decision to, to give your life to the Lord Jesus, to trust in him and him alone for your salvation, you have been following the world on that wide path, know that that leads to destruction. And it's simply a matter of, in your heart, right now, going before, going before God and, and confessing your sin. You, say, you pray to him right now from your heart and say, God, I am a sinner. I have sinned against you and I've bought the lie, and I, but I'm tired of, of, of following this, this way. I want to follow you. I don't understand it all, but I understand I'm a sinner. I understand that I need a Savior. And Jesus, I believe that you're that Savior, so I trust right now in your completed work on my, ha my behalf. I believe that you died for me. I give you my sin, Lord, and I, I ask that you forgive me and that you make me one of your own, that you give me eternal life. If 
you pray that prayer from your heart and you truly surrender to him, you have that free gift. No one can take that from you. Lord, we thank you for that gift that you've given to all of us. Our desire is to walk in a manner worthy of that gift. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. You can read ahead, finish chapter 11. We'll pick up there next week.